Hello, and welcome to this edition of People in Transition. I'm your host, Bob Durst. I've been hiring, firing, and mentoring executives, frontline employees, interns, and job seekers in companies around the world through a host of transitions, some difficult, but most very good. I work with people in Hong Kong, India, Australia, and across the United States. What sets them apart? A lot, but there's more they have in common. And one of those commonalities is transition is a part of life. This experience has given me a bird's eye view on a variety of trends, economies, industry disruptors, and transitions that are big and small. It also brought me into contact with the thought leaders and decision makers you need to meet. The people who can make the difference that matters to you right now. Imagine knowing exactly what to do next and how to know it's time to make your big change. The inside track you're going to access during our future episodes is better than a crystal ball. It's the exact information you need to take that next step. Whether you're a new grad applying for your first professional job, someone looking to transition your work experience into a promotion, launching your own company, or maybe even starting to plan your retirement, you're in transition, and this series is for you. We all know transition can be scary, but it doesn't have to be. And it's even fun when you have VIP access to the future you want. Are you tired of the uncertainty of being passed up? We'll share with you the tools and skills that can take your dreams to the front of the line. So if change is on your horizon, or maybe just the thought of change, you won't want to miss this discussion. It could be the exact edge you need to turn transition into an amazing opportunity. Nathan Stuck, I'm so excited about having you on this episode of People in Transition. I was really looking forward to this discussion, and so thank you for making time with us today. Absolutely, Bob. Pleasure to be here. Nathan, when you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up? I was thinking about this, and the sad part is I was a huge Indiana Jones fan as a kid. So as most kids, you just pick something very random. I wanted to be an archaeologist, just like Andy. So what were the transition moments that occurred to you to get you from that picture of yourself as an archaeologist to where you're at today? I think I transitioned from that to uh, as I got a little bit older, I, you know, I was a baseball player and it was I'm going to be a professional baseball player. And I realized I couldn't hit a curveball and I didn't throw hard enough. It, I took I want to say it was high school economics. I love the idea of supply and demand and I love the idea of capitalism and how it worked and how people sold things and, you know, made them. I just love that whole concept. So by the time I was ready to go to college, I, I knew I was going to do business. And, and honestly, I think I wrote a paper on it in 10th grade about my, where are you going to be in 10 years? And I was going to be an international businessman. I'm still not an international businessman, but I have made a career out of business. Nathan, let's talk a bit about networking. What do you have as your objective when you say, I'm going to network? I will start with what I don't have. I think too many people think they just go and shake a hand and collect a business card or now whatever it is, scan a QR code. Networking isn't transactional. You know, the, the true power in networking for me is connecting with people to whom I can add value. And obviously, when you're early in your career, you can't really add a lot of value to a lot of people, but you're meeting them, you're shaking hands, and maybe early in your career, you're looking to get like, you know, I'd love to talk to you more about your career path. If you meet somebody that's a little senior to you, 
But now when I'm networking, the big thing to me is who can I add value to? Who can I, you know, as I'm talking to people, who can I connect them with? Or maybe it's me, you know, maybe it's me, maybe it's the company I work for, maybe it's, but maybe it's somebody in my network. And to me, that's the value in networking because that person's going to remember you when you say, hey, you know what? I'll connect you with, with Bob. He's got a great podcast and I think you'd make a wonderful guest. And now they're going to remember me. You're going to remember me. And so there's that, that, I think that value adding, that value generation is, is, that's really what I'm looking to do when I network is I think that's what builds long-term memorable relationships where when, you know, it's 10 years later and somebody goes, Hey, I saw you were connected to Bob on LinkedIn. I can reach out and say, Hey, Bob, remember me? So I think that's the big thing is, is that value add. That's, that's what really adds value to the networking as well. Nathan, do you do purposeful networking time each week, each month? I mean, do you set aside time and say, okay, I'm going to look to someone to see how I can add value or how I can comment on LinkedIn or how I can do something? Do you have a schedule for that or do you just do it when it comes about? I wouldn't say I have a schedule. I am a very non-detail person, so the schedule would be too detailed, but I have a cadence. I have a, I think in the back of my head, there's a schedule that I'm too proud to say exists. So I will try to sign up for events. And if I sign up for something, I feel like a kid, you know, where your, your parents would yell at you, well, you signed up for it, you have to go. So I will always attend and I've done those. And it's funny that the ones that you don't want to attend and you're tired and you're wiped out are always the ones where you meet somebody valuable. Never fails. <laughs> Those are, I could, I could name 10 examples right now off the top of my head of, of just prime networking that happened on a day where I went, man, I'd rather stay in bed or man, it's raining. I have to drive an hour and a half into Atlanta during rush hour and I go and I meet somebody wonderful. I think I've gotten more intentional with it as I've progressed in my career, but it's one of the things that, you know, I teach an MBA class. I'm, I, I'm working on a book on finding a purposeful career. And I think it's so valuable and so overlooked. If you want to pivot your career, if you want to transition, go where those people are. Go to those industry events. Even if you have no experience, meet them, learn from them, be a fly on the wall, listen to the speakers, follow the speakers, go on LinkedIn, comment on their posts, engage. I think it's so valuable. It often gets overlooked. Nathan, I had one of my clients tell me, don't worry, Bob, my network contacts will find me a job. How would you coach back to that client? I don't know that they're going to know you're looking for one. How are they going to know? And and two, boy, that's a tough one. I mean, there's so many factors that go into that. But one of the reasons I network so hard is I got laid off twice in one year. So people go, Nathan, why are you always at these events? Why are you why are you so active on LinkedIn? Why do you do? You're always going to something. You're doing something. You're meeting with people because I take calls from strangers all the time. That's why I got a booking link. I network like that because I've stood in the Department of Labor line filing unemployment insurance before, and that will never happen to me again. Do I think my network could find me a job? Yes, but I would want to follow up with what are you doing for your network? Why are they going to find you a job? What value have you added to them? What value do you add? Can you even define what job you're looking for? Because I think that's the thing too. You can have the most valuable network in the world. If you don't have the skills for that job that you want, I struggle to see how your network can help you. I have plenty of powerful people in my network, vice president of a big cruise line. I grew up referencing his kids' hockey games. I don't know anything about the strategic sourcing of oil and gas for cruise ships. So, yeah, I have a really good network. He can't help me. So I think that's the other part, you know, is do you have the skills for them to even be able to help you? 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I would ask a lot of follow-up questions because I think there is a, an argument to be made for some people, but I think for most, it's probably not as true as you think it is. Nathan, how do we find a career with purpose? What should we do to achieve that? This is why I'm writing the book. You know, I, I always tell people, I didn't mention it earlier, the MBA class I teach is on B Corps. So talk about careers with purpose and sustainability. Benefit corporations are probably the primo example. 99% of the time, the job's not listed, especially for some. I mean, the job might be listed if, if it just happens to be a benefit corporation or a conscious capitalism member that needs a production assistant. The average jobs are going to be listed. But if you're really looking for like my job title, director of culture, director of strategic impacts, sustainability manager, a lot of times those jobs aren't listed, especially the entry level ones. It's really hard to get into like sustainability with no experience, which I find ironic. You know, nobody had a sustainability department three years ago and now everybody wants to hire somebody with five to 10 years of experience. That's where the networking comes in because a lot of those times, like my job was never listed. There was no job posting for what I was going to do. I built a relationship. You know, for students, I always tell them, do as many of these experiential learning projects as you can. If there's a CEO or, you know, a C-suite executive or even a director that's running a project at a university and the student-run project, sign up for it. What else are you doing? You know, even if it doesn't have, the, the one I worked on had no class credit attached to it. And I did probably four or five of those during my MBA. And when I left, I had three offers and they were all from experiential learning projects. So networking, adding value, getting to know people demonstrating some work, you know, internships, things like that. But a lot of those jobs with purpose, I don't necessarily think are listed. So it really behooves you to get to know people. There's a young student that she graduated two years ago. She was in my class. She was on one of the projects. She reached out to me recently, said the job I'm at, it's great. The pay is good. I don't find any purpose in what I'm doing. I'd love to do something like you're doing. I want to pivot more into sustainability. I said, great. I'm working on this planning committee for this big event that's coming up on Earth Day. Why don't you get involved? And the next call I jump on for the planning committee, I've connected her with the head guy that's planning it. She is leading the charge. She is in charge of the zero waste part of the event. And I'm like, that's initiative. She knows she doesn't have the experience. She went out and found it. So she's going to volunteer for two months, probably four or five hours a week outside of her job for no pay and probably not a lot of spotlight because she's building a resume. And now when she goes into an interview or she wants to, you know, even probably put that on her resume, she has something concrete that she's worked on. Like she's actually taking the initiative to broaden her skill set. So when she sees that job, I think that's a mistake a lot of us make. We get stuck in our job. We, you know, we, we lament what we do and man, this job, one of these days, and then we wake up and we're 35 or 40 and we're still in that job. And the pay is pretty good, so we don't want to leave. And we look, but we look through jobs because we're kind of depressed. And man, one of these days, and then we see that job. Man, I'd love to do that. And then you read the skills, and you go, "Oh, I don't have any of those. I haven't done anything in the last 15 years except work on my job. I've done zero investment in myself." So I think that that is the, the primo thing of you know, if you even have an idea of where you're going to go, like go read a job description, go read one for that job you really think you're going to want, and then figure out how you're going to get those skills. How would you suggest or coach someone that, let's say that they want to be a programmer or they want to be a human resource person or they want to be a sustainability, what would you lay out for them as their action plan? Number one, you live in the greatest age of all time for career pivots. <laughs> like when you asked me earlier how I got my first job, I'm like, it might have been a newspaper ad. And that was 2004, but it might have been a newspaper ad. And nowadays, well, you've got the world at your fingertips. Programmers, my 
day job, director of culture and impact, is at a Salesforce consulting firm. Do you know how many people we have hired that transitioned out of waiting tables, working security, and they just taught themselves these skills and they learned the skills and maybe they took an entry-level job somewhere else and then all of a sudden, boom, they're consulting. They're making six figures. They took that ownership. You know, They didn't just sit at their security job and go home and complain about it. They went home and spent three or four hours a night learning skills. So I think that's that's the biggest thing. I mean, even in sustainability, there's certifications you can get. There's online courses you can take. And honestly, some cases, spend the money. I've spent money. I took a, a class. I think it was a $500. It was an online. It was all virtual. And it wasn't instructor-led. It was at your own pace. I spent that, yeah, 500 bucks to get basically certified as a B Corp consultant. So I could go help companies get B Corp certified. And all of a sudden, you know, fast forward three, four years, now I'm qualified. I'm teaching the class at the University of Georgia on this subject. I've done similar things with Google Analytics. Someday, maybe I want to own my own business. And now all of a sudden, I have my own website. I have my own LLC. And guess who needs to know Google Analytics? So for those things, I think just investing in yourself, both from a time and money standpoint, is step one, where you can actually start to develop those skills. You know the pain points of the industry. You know it keeps the CEOs up at night. You pile some networking on top of that. When you're at those events, you can speak knowledgeably of current events of what's going on in the industry of in sustainability maybe it's the carbon tax you know different things that are happening in the world and oh my god this guy's pretty credible and hey yeah i'd love to step i'd love to join that committee you need committee volunteers you know the next thing you know you're kind of interfacing with the people you need to be interfacing with so yeah i'd start with skill development and then once you've started to develop some of those skills figure out a way to get some hands-on experience be it through people you meet networking or a nonprofit board or some sort of event committee those types of things where you can then start to apply them and then you can put them on a resume and chances are by that point you've met somebody along the way who's going hey man i'm hiring you've mentioned b corp a number of times first i guess question is maybe to define that and then the second question is is that did you ever see yourself i think not because you were going to be an archaeologist but did you ever see yourself as you were going through your career trajectory thinking that you would be involved with that and and then the third sorry that i'm piling on is what caused that pivot into the b corp world sheer happenstance and I'll spare the complete backstory, but I kind of already touched on it. I got laid off in 2013 twice. Went on unemployment because I kind of did, you know, around the house. I'm, I knew there's hardwoods under these carpets. So, you know, all of a sudden the severance is up and you're at the unemployment office. And, and then I took another job that I just didn't find a lot of purpose in. I didn't feel good doing. That job, I again, I met somebody at that job who went, hey, we're hiring. And I went to what I thought was my dream job. That was turned out to be a nightmare. So next thing you know, I'm retreating back to Athens from Atlanta. I decide I'm going to get an MBA and oh, I don't know what I'm going to do for a year because it was June or July when I got back to Athens. And if you've ever applied for an MBA program, well, you've missed the deadline by June or July. So I had a year to kill. I had to study for the GMAT. So I drove an Uber. I worked setup shifts, minimum wage setup shifts at the convention center in town and honestly saw a world I never knew existed because even in high school, I was roughing hockey, making 20, 25 bucks a game, three, four games a night. You know, I'd go work four or five hours and make a hundred bucks. And so I had never really been a part of the whatever the gig economy, the service economy, all of those things. And I'm reading Capital in the 21st Century by Thomas Piketty. And it's just, and of course, uh, I would say I've burned out on traditional capitalism. 
And of course, where do I end up? I go to a you know an MBA program. That's a great place when you're burning out on capitalism. And I joined the Net Impact Club, and I'm figuring out ways to plug in and ways to kind of pivot. Just honestly, it was a pivot. That's what I was doing. I was trying. I never wanted to work in operations again. I wanted out. I wanted to finally use my marketing degree. That January, like I think going into to winter break, there was an email that went out and said, hey, there's this company interested in this thing called B Corp certification. If you're interested, we're meeting on Friday, whatever, January 12th or something. And we're going to meet the owner of the company. Okay. All right, I'll go. So I sent an email back and I went and I, I remember walking into that meeting and this guy had this IT company and we do Salesforce and AWS and all. And I'm like, I don't even know what he's talking about. And we want to be a B Corp. And I'm like, I still don't know what he's talking about. And the more I got into that project, the more I just absolutely fell in love with it's capitalism with guardrails. It's just capitalism that, that is stakeholder first. So we can make money. We can take care of our workers. We can take care of the environment. We can serve our community. We don't have to just completely be focused on shareholder primacy that we have to make money above all else. Yes, no margin, no mission, no profit, no purpose, all of that. But just we can make money and feel good about the way in which we are making it is how I would sum up B Corps. And I just stumbled into that. And that project was supposed to last one semester. And I remember just hitting Jeff up, who I've worked for now for over five years. This this was six and a half years ago. Said, hey, what are we doing? I, I have an internship this summer. But after the summer, like, we're we going to keep this project going, right? And he was like, if you really want to, we were going to keep doing it. My wife and I were going to keep working on it on our own. And so that's how it happened. And I just kept working on it. And the more I got into the community, I just fell in love with it. And honestly, it's funny. I said I wanted to pivot out of operations when he offered me a job. And I, he knew I wanted to do marketing. But they, guess what they needed? Operations. So <laughs> and it's funny because you look back on your career and all these jobs that you found no purpose in, no value. I always still wanted to be the best. I always wanted to be really good. So when I'm renting cars at Enterprise, I studied our numbers. I knew our numbers. I knew what I needed to drive for our branch, not only to make money because you get commission as a manager. I wanted to be the top branch in the city in Las Vegas. I wanted to be the top branch in Nevada. I wanted to win all the awards. So I knew how to drive KPIs. And so I get to this brand new company with, I think by the time I started, we had 16 employees and they have no KPIs set up. So I literally took Enterprise's playbook and translated it to IT consulting. All these little things that you picked up along the way. And then I remember back to like my, you know, a previous life in sales. And I'm like, I know how to sell people. So when I had initiatives and ideas, I knew exactly how to sell the C-suite and how to sell the value, how to kind of figure out what, what are you struggling with? Where can I help? Ask those questions. So I applied all these skills that I thought I'd never use again because I never wanted to work in those industries. And I was doing operations 40 to 50 hours a week. And then I just kept doing the passion project. I kept working on the B Corp stuff. I started Be Local Georgia, which is our local nonprofit kind of organizing community building networking group. I started that. And then I next thing you know, I'm, I put on a whole regional conference for B Corps in the Southeast and I'm winning awards now. And then we've grown. And now all of a sudden I hired a buddy of mine that I've known for years who was looking for a job again, that networking thing, that job was never posted. I just literally over a beer, I said, aren't you looking for something new? So I hired him. I trained him on all the stuff I was doing. He's a detail focused controller, accounting major, he absolutely loves what my old job. I hated it. And I was able to pivot out of that role. And now I do this full time pretty much by created that role that I was doing in hours 41 through 60 because I loved it. And now I work 42 to 45 hours a week. I've never been happier. And it all kind of started with going to that meeting 
as an MBA student. So I used to be really embarrassed by that story of being on unemployment and driving an Uber. And now I just, I think it is, it makes everything so much sweeter to know that that's where it started. It's the steps you have to take to get to the end. Yeah. And lean into that journey. Just when you're in that journey, keep track of where you're trying to go. I think a lot of us get lost, you know, even in, in early jobs, I think we get lost in that job and we give up on our dreams. We give up on on the things we wanted to do. We don't set goals. We don't learn. We don't. There's an old Jim Rohn quote that's literally kind of the focus of my book. It's work harder on yourself than you do on your job. That's it. I mean, even if it's at work on that job, but when you go home, are you studying what it takes to be great? You know, are you developing skills? Are you reading that job description for the jobs you want? Are you putting yourself in a position for when opportunity knocks that you'll actually be ready? Or are you just going to be that person that kind of complains their whole life about how you never got any breaks? Nathan, do you think that you should connect with the hiring manager before any interviews takes place to help establish some kind of connection? And and if you do think that's a good idea, any tips or ideas on how you might go about establishing that relationship? I think it depends on the role. I mean, my first step would be, okay, you know, in our, you know, at our company at Advic, I would say, okay, chances are it's Chris Frazier's the hiring manager. But if I'm looking at that and I'm looking at Advic and LinkedIn makes it so easy and you go, oh, you have two connections that work here. Oh, one of them's Nathan. This has happened with me with several of my, I'm an advisor for my old fraternity on campus. So I guess it's still my fraternity. I'm just an alumni now. And I've had some of the, the graduating seniors or rising juniors go, Hey, man, tell me more about this company you work for. And then I connect them with somebody else and they learn a little bit more about the job. Okay, you're really interested. And then I take their resume right down to Chris's desk and I say, hey, man, I got another one. (laughs) We've done like three or four now. It's been very successful. All of them have have been rock stars. I have another one. So I think trying to figure out if you have an in, and I don't think it's necessarily has to be the hiring manager if it's somebody at that company that's been there for a little while and you know them and you can build that that desire for them to make that recommendation too you know it was never like hey can you get me a job it was a hey can i buy you dinner and ask you a little bit more about what it is you do what that role looks like you know i want to make sure and they always approach it with i want to make sure it's a good fit for me and i think that goes a long way because now it's like okay we're in a weird way, not, I don't want to say they're interviewing me, but they, they're wanting to make sure too, that this is a, a good fit for everybody involved. And, to, and that's from, you know, 20, 21 year olds doing that. I will always try to find on, go on LinkedIn, even sometimes when I'm just kind of curious and I'm like, oh, I might put my hat in there for that one. And it's like, who do I know that works there or has worked there? And sometimes it might even be to find out that like, dude, you do not want to work there. <laughs> Again, LinkedIn makes it so easy. You know, you don't have to rely on your dad's network. And I think that's an important part, too, that I think a lot of younger people miss out on is the power of LinkedIn. Just start building that network while you're in college. Obviously, connect with people you've met. I'm not a big fan of just open networking where you're just connecting because you commented on something. But I think there's a value in that network, especially if you're giving value back into it. Nathan, how do you coach your MBA students or others that come to you for support, how do you coach them to better prepare for those situational questions a recruiter or hiring manager might use? Like, tell me a time you purchased a new piece of equipment or that you hired a new vendor. What's the best way to respond to those kinds of questions? Honestly, I think that one of the best things, and I think a lot of the advice I give is for people trying to pivot. 
and trying to find that new job and going, well, I've never done that. Well, you have. It just might not have been hiring a vendor. It might have been maybe you were an event planner. Maybe you were, you know, there was something that you've done in your past that we can translate these skills to. So I think it's trying to get, it's a lot of times I will work with them to go, okay, what did you do? And, you know, even just looking at resumes, okay, I get it. I get what you supervised. I get what, what did you do? And getting them to kind of think about what the actual skills they developed were. Okay, you negotiate and you negotiated raises for all your people. Okay, you know, and so you're starting to develop. Okay, here are these common threads because I'm also a big proponent of depending on the the job description of tweaking your resume a little bit. Take that job and make it a little more applicable. You're not lying. You're not stretching the truth. You're just changing the way you word things to make it more so resemble the role that they're hiring for. But you have the skills. Most things you do in the business world are the same regardless of industry. Nathan, why does aligning your own personal brand with the company culture, why does that matter? And how do you find out that alignment exists or doesn't exist. I take this one back to some of the due diligence as far as how do you figure it out? I mean, I've gotten into some roles where all of a sudden it became obvious. It was not obvious during the due diligence phase. It was very obvious on day one. I remember I had somebody came and spoke to us one time and they were talking about culture fit and I'll never forget this example. And they said, you know, if you don't drink and you're kind of a teetotaler, maybe looking for a job at EJ Gallo, like a career at EJ Gallo is probably not for you. Likewise, if you swear all the time and you haven't been to church since, you know, since you were a kid, a career at Chick-fil-A corporate probably isn't for you. You know, and it was such a brilliant, easy to understand analogy of thinking about, okay. And I think some of that is, you know, and if you can, if you can go to an event where, you know, there's going to be people there. If you see somebody, you know, like for me, it's pretty easy to find me at a, you know, on LinkedIn and I'm posting events and Hey, I'm attending this event. You get a pretty good sense of what the company's like. I run the culture. You get a pretty good sense of what the company's like after about five minutes with me, because I wouldn't still be around if I was a bad culture fit to run the culture. So I think some of that starts with some self-reflection of what are you looking for? What's valuable to you? You know, are you going to be offended by by people swearing? I mean, I, it sounds small, but I've, I've had that come up in exit interviews. Do you need people all the time and this company is 100% remote? Probably a bad culture fit. You know, some of those of like figuring out, just reading it and kind of looking like, how would I like this? I think it's just some deep thought on some of the different roles and requirements and reading through some of the, I take Glassdoor with a grain of salt because it's turned into the Yelp of employee reviews. But I think going through, looking at LinkedIn, looking at how long people stayed there, I think you can get, there's a lot of publicly available information that should tell you a lot. You know, even if you go through some of their directors, Go through who they follow on LinkedIn. You can find it all. You know what it'll tell you. Do they follow Simon Sinek? Do they follow, you know, do they follow thought leaders that you follow? Do you know, do, you're going to see some parallels of like, oh man, or what did they post about? Are they posting about fun stuff? Do they post all the time? Are they posting happy things? Are they posting volunteer pictures with their teammates? You know, look beyond just what marketing is sharing and look at some of the employees and what they're sharing. And I think that'll tell you a lot about the culture. Nathan, if you were to tell someone, do these one or two things each week during your job search, what would those one or two things be that you would suggest that they have as action items? If possible, attend at least one networking event a week. COVID changed a lot of that to virtual. And honestly, they're still on LinkedIn and Clubhouse and all these different platforms. You can find a seminar, you can find a workshop, you can find something in your industry. 
So I think that's number one. And if you connect with somebody and you have a good conversation, I always keep a list next to me. If I'm at an event, even if it's virtual, I'm looking at a list on my desk right now with 15 names on it. And then I wrote down, okay, they introduced themselves. They do this, put a star next to them. They do this, put a star next to them. And then I spend an hour after the call or after the thing, or maybe it's nine o'clock that night. I take that list and all my notes and I go through LinkedIn and I start connecting. And some people I just connect. Hey, great to meet you today. Enjoyed blah, blah, blah. But if it's somebody I really want to connect with, hey, really enjoyed what you had to say about this. I'm looking at pivoting into a career in sustainability. Would love to pick your brain, even if you have, you know, 10, 15 minutes to spare. Would love the chance to get to know you a little bit better and learn about your career journey. I think that goes so far, and especially when you get into like purpose-driven careers, people like me who realize that they've gotten, I don't want to say lucky, but I'll say lucky. Um, what is luck is when opportunity meets preparation. You know, I think that's step one. If you if you're making intentional connections and you're also, let's be honest, if you're attending those events and it's in an industry that you're looking to get into, you're also learning something. You're there. You're present. You've made a connection. If you live in a big city, if you live in Atlanta, try to do in-person ones like twice a month. But take ownership of that element. And then I would say step two, invest an hour in yourself every week. What skill do you need to develop? Taking that course. You know, do you want to get into public speaking? Are you spend an hour a week, a couple hours a week listening to a you know a couple speeches and then writing your own and then practice giving it? You know, there's just so many things that I think we could do. And that hour here, that hour there, by the end of the year, uh, I think it's Arnold Schwarzenegger gives that famous speech. But if you did that for an hour a day, it's 365 hours at the end of the year. If you do it for an hour a week, it's 52 hours that you spent working on something. Imagine how much you could learn in 52 hours of studying something. So I think we don't look at the small steps as adding up to a, a massive impact. But, you know, if you spend... 52 hours a year networking, another 52 following up on all the people you met and connecting and getting some meetings and talking to them. And then another 52 really just investing in yourself and learning and knowledge in that skill set that you need for that job. I think you'll do all right. Nathan, we're going to do our lightning round now. This is where I give you a, a topic and you get to spend 10 or 15 seconds. So it's real high level of your thoughts or suggestions on the item. First one on the lightning round is cover letters. I'm not a fan. I think we spend too much time writing cover letters. And when the algorithm machine, the algorithm bot is never even going to process your resume anyway. I'd love to see those later in the process. I think they waste candidates time and they leave a bad taste in, in the candidate's mouth because you wasted a bunch of time and you never heard back from the recruiter. Style of dress for interviews Depends on the industry. I work in IT now. I remember the day I went to interview and I was from the MBA program and coming in and working at Enterprise was always suit and tie. And I, I texted somebody from the parking lot and I said, do I need a tie? And they just laughed at me. And then everybody in the office at an IT company, even the CEO made fun of me for wearing a full suit. So I think do your industry research. I never think it hurts to overdress. Even in an IT company, I don't think it hurt me. I think it's better to come in in the suit and have them make a couple jokes about if I thought I was going into investment banking than it is to show up in jeans and a t-shirt and assume they're going to be lax. And it'll tell you a lot about culture fit as well. I'll tell you that. If you want to wear a suit every day um, and you walk in and the boss is in flip-flops, maybe not your fit. Discussion of pay and benefits. Yeah, um, definitely have those conversations. I, I wish companies would do a better job, especially with younger professionals. We shouldn't look at it as a win. 
because the the candidate didn't bring it up, especially when you look at pay equity gaps. You know, women are less likely to bring that up in an interview. I mean, it was a study of women where imposter syndrome was first kind of derived, that idea, that concept, that notion. So I think it is a bad business practice for companies to not bring it up. I will encourage candidates to, but I think if there's any notion of them kind of being coy about it, maybe hit the hills and run, because that tells me a lot about that company and their values. If they think that, yeah, well, they didn't bring it up, so we can lowball them. I just think that's a very bad, bad, shady business practice. Thank you notes sent to the hiring manager or recruiter. 100%, 100%. Takes zero effort, zero effort to send a 30-second email. Hey, really enjoyed meeting you. Thank you for the time. And honestly, if you connected, and I'll tell you, this might take me longer than 15 seconds. When we started recruiting on campus at the University of Georgia, it was our first recruiting thing. Our CEO used to come with us for those. It was our recruiting manager, me, doing the Culture Fit interview, and our CEO. And we talked about who sent them. And honestly, after if we interviewed 16 to 24 people in a day and they went round robin, room to room. So by the end of the day, outside of the notes you scribbled down on the resume, sorry, hate to break you the bad news. I don't remember who you were. I couldn't pick you out of a police lineup. I remember I remember your face. You interviewed with us. That's it. But when you send me the thank you note and says, hey, blah, blah, blah. Glad to hear we both volunteered at Goodwill when we were in school. Oh, I remember them. They were great. What a charmer. And all of a sudden now you've gotten my, yeah, they're on to the next round. Just a simple thing. And then sometimes the best interviews and we got no thank you note and you're like, huh. And it's like that kind of, well, we're on the fence. We've got our number. They're at the cut line and this person sent a thank you and this person didn't. And those happened. So yes, 100% send a thank you letter. Nathan, as we wind down here, are there any books or other resources that you would recommend to someone who's going through their own personal transition? Oh boy, do I wish I had my book done. This will motivate me to finish editing tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say I have any because it's been a while since I've transitioned from one job to the other. I honestly got a lot of stuff out of Company of One. Because it was very interesting. It was, you know, he's building his side hustle while he was still at his day job. So I, I don't know that if you're not planning on starting your own company, I don't know that it's 100% valuable. But if you're at a job thinking about leaving, it was a very interesting approach to keeping that paycheck while you work on what's next. So if you can spotlight those chapters, I think that was some valuable, valuable stuff of just thinking about like, don't burn it to the ground yet. It's a lot and it's a lot easier to, to network and to spend time and invest in yourself when that paycheck's hitting every other Friday. Nathan, if our listeners only remember three things as they go through their own transition, what are those three things that you want them to take away from our discussion? Network to add value to others. Um, before you ask for anything, that would be one. Two would be seek to gain the knowledge you need for that next step and start this process yesterday. You know, and again, simple as reading job descriptions and reading what requirements there are for the role. There's your list. That's what you, the skills you need to work on. And three, go get experience. If you're a student, do experiential projects, sign up for anything, do projects with clubs, projects in class. And if you're a professional, find either a nonprofit board with seats or committee seats. And again, these take work. These take digging. These take time. It takes you back to networking. Find ways that you can sign up for something to be a part of it. Volunteer in your area. And it doesn't have to be picking up trash. Those won't develop the skills. It's a great thing. I do it all the time. Find ways to volunteer your time to develop the skills you don't yet have. 
so you can apply the knowledge you're learning and then you can add value to that network to the point where somebody hopefully gives you the same thing I got, which is, what are you doing when you graduate? Or, hey, are you looking? You didn't sound like you were that happy with your job. I've got a role I was thinking about. Those are the three things. Network, learn, get experience. Nathan, I want to thank you for your insights, for your tips and techniques, for your energy and passion that you brought to the discussion today. Thanks a lot. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully if anybody learned anything, it's connect with me as well. You don't have to have met me to follow me on LinkedIn and really enjoyed this, Bob, and happy to come on anytime and happy to be a resource for any of your listeners. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We're working in unprecedented times as the world responds to the recent COVID-19 crisis. The fact is that even those who are not in transition understand it could be right around the corner next month or a year from now. The purpose of these episodes are to give listeners support and the critical tools to adjust with the winds, wherever they come. I'll continue to introduce you to guests who have successfully, perhaps gracefully, or without too many battle scars, survived their own obstacle courses and can share useful information on how to steady your ship or your world in this uncertainty. If today's message was helpful to you, please share it on social media. If you have any questions or podcast ideas for future conversations, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I appreciate your time, your investing in sharing these important conversations with me, my guests, and others who are going through life transition. Transitions between jobs, life stages, new entrepreneurial ventures, or whatever life brings. Change is constant. The more prepared you are for it, the better and easier the change will occur. Thank you again. This is your host, Bob Gerst. See you at our next episode of People in Transition.